Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. One of the hardest things about coming to church and hearing God's Word is setting aside everything else that's on your mind. And I know that for some, it's almost impossible. Focus and concentration is something that I struggle with horribly. Some of you know that. And uh, I'm going to ask you this morning to dial in with me, to, to really ask the Lord to help you to focus on the Word and focus on the message, because the first portion of it will be somewhat review, some of it will be new, it won't be very encouraging or edifying, but I promise that if you hang with me, that God will be able to do something wonderful in your life. Through this message. All right. So let's start reading Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15. And this is, um, this passage is, it's difficult to understand. As we read it, the grammar is difficult to follow. The sentence structure is complicated. So let's, let's read this and then we're going to, we're going to try and have an understanding of it by the time we leave here today. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to give you an earthly, just a commonplace illustration that you'll understand. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now, how many of you are blessed already? That passage, basically what it's saying, if we put it in our language, what it's saying is, if you sign a contract... That contract is in force. It doesn't matter what happens. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything from it unless both parties agree to it. Nothing can take it away. That's a contract. All right? And we all understand that. How many of you have signed a contract? How many of you have signed a contract that you wish you hadn't? Remember when you first got married and you bought that furniture? Remember? Right. Okay. Now look at verse 16. It was only 28% interest. Come on. Verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed. You see that? I want you to notice three words in our text. Tonight we're going to explain one of them. This morning we're going to try and explain two of them. Three words that you'll notice in the text. Seed, promise, and covenant. Seed, promise, and covenant. This morning we're going to look at the promised seed. Tonight we're going to look at the covenants. What are the covenants? What? What are they? We hear about covenants. What are they? There are conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. And what is all that about? Tonight we're going to learn about that. But notice three words, seed, covenant, and promise. So now look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before the law in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. Can't make it null and void. That it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand 
your word today. And Lord, I think that, uh, that we have the opportunity to leave here different people. Lord, I, I know that there are people here, as I mentioned earlier, that are in all different places in their Christian walk, but this passage is vital for all of us. So please help us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God had made a promise to Abraham. That's what the text is saying. God had made a promise. And when God makes a promise, that's a promise that will be kept. That's the foundation of what we're seeing in Acts or in Galatians chapter 3. What did the promise entail? God, we looked at it last week in Genesis chapter 15. God took Abraham up and he told him to look at the stars. And as the number of the stars in the sky, that would be the number of Abraham's offspring. Look, look beneath your feet, Abraham. Look beneath your feet. That sand, your descendants will be as the sand of the sea. Which is interesting because he didn't have any children. He was childless. His wife was barren. And there was no hope of having children, which was, of course, a shame and a reproach to his wife in that culture. So God had promised this to him. And Abraham believed God, and that belief was counted to him for righteousness. You all remember that from last week? All right. Now, 400 years later, God gave them the law. As a matter of fact, the Bible says 430 years later, God gave them the law. And we, when we think of the law, we think of Ten Commandments. Of course, we understand it was much more than that. This law was law in all its minute detail. What color of clothes you were to wear. Uh, the, how the hem was to be sewn on your clothing. What kind of dwelling place you were to live in. How you were to cook your food. What food you were to cook. And what food you were to abstain. That sounds like Michelle Obama. But anyway, who you could marry and not marry. How to wage war. Every detail of life was governed, literally. Every detail of life was governed. Now, here's something we need to understand. Not one of Abraham's children ever obeyed the law. Not one of his descendants ever obeyed the law. None of them did. The nations, they, they, they disobeyed the, the law to such an extent that God sent armies to destroy them. God sent nations to bring them into captivity. When we look back at it, we think, my goodness, how disobedient they must have been for that to happen. But what about Abraham himself? Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 12? God told him to leave his country and he would make of him a great nation. And he said that he would bless those nations and those people that would bless them and curse those people that would curse him. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, he's told him that he's going to make his nation, his seed, his offspring as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the sea. But in the next chapter, and, and God counted that to him for righteousness. But in the next chapter, he's unfaithful to his wife. And he has a child born to him from his wife's handmaid. Three chapters later, you see him going into Egypt and he's afraid for his own life. So he offers up his wife in case someone would want his wife and would kill him. That's Abraham. That's Abraham. Read the life of the men that he, of his offspring. Isaac. What do we know about Isaac? We love the story of, of Isaac and Rebekah and how beautiful that is. But what else do we know of Isaac? That he was a weak, fleshly man 
And by the time you get to Hebrews 11, the only good thing that God can say about his life was the blessing he gave his sons right before he died. What about Jacob? The deceiver, the supplanter. What about Judah? God chose Judah. The, the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And Judah sells his brother into slavery because his brother told him he was going to bow down to him. How are they doing? Didn't I tell you this wouldn't be very edifying at the beginning? It's like a bluegrass song, you know? He took her and killed her. <laughs> How many of you have heard some of those old bluegrass songs? My goodness, that is some dark stuff, man. And honestly, the history of mankind is pretty dark. It's pretty dark. Abraham had no merit in the eyes of God before the covenant. Is that right? But neither did he have any merit in the eyes of God after the covenant. The same is true of Isaac, Jacob, and the tribes to follow. But the Bible says this, Though the man proved himself unworthy, God doesn't lie. What a wonderful promise that is. Though his heir proved himself unworthy, God doesn't lie. Though the offspring, eventually numbering the stars of the heavens and the grains of the sand by the sea, prove themselves unworthy, God keeps His covenant. He keeps His word. He is true to what He promised. Isn't that wonderful? Though they be led into bondage. And though after 400 years, and remember, He promised Abraham that when He said He was going to make of them a great nation. They'll be in captivity 400 years and I'll lead them out and they'll be a great nation. Right? Is that what God promised? Though he lead them into captivity, and they leave captivity with Egyptian idols tucked under their coats. And then when God sends their leader up into the mountain to receive the law, as that leader is coming down from the mountain, he sees them dancing around a golden calf, worshiping false gods. And though that leader gets so mad, he breaks the original manuscripts. God sends them back up and gives them a copy. God still didn't lie. Because God's faithfulness is not based on man's unfaithfulness. What a wonderful promise that is. God keeps His covenants. He keeps His promises because He is God. Now, let's go back to Galatians, and I want you to see this. Look at verse 15 again. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant... Yet, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now, this is very difficult for 21st century Christians to comprehend. But there was a time, there, was, there really was a time that when a man signed his name to something, that meant something. That meant something. Have you heard this? My word is my bond. My word is my bond. And what would happen was that if a man signed a contract, he would live up to it, and here's why he was going to live up to it. Apart from honoring his Savior, he wanted to protect his good name. The Bible says that a good name is something to be cherished above rubies, above fine gold, that my name is vital. Is that right? 
Why? Especially now. Because when I speak for the Lord Jesus Christ, if my name has, if I have had reproach brought on my name, why should they believe me about Jesus? And I tell dads this when I'm, when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling and uh, talking about children. Or, wait a minute, that sounded bad. When I'm doing pre-marriage counseling and I'm talking to young men about when they become fathers. That's... See, our culture is so bad, some of you didn't catch that. But look, what I tell them is, you are God to that child because when they pray, they pray to God the Father. And so when they picture Father, they picture you. And so when you demand obedience, but then you don't follow up on that, they don't trust you. So when you say, hey, sit down or else, well, you've said that to them so many times and not followed through, they don't trust you anymore. Is that right? They don't believe you. Um, God is not that kind of father. When God says something, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Amen? So God, He can't lie. Here, it's saying that when you sign a contract, that is an ironclad contract, and you are bound by that contract. But when a man proves himself to be a liar, when a man proves himself to be untrustworthy, it becomes very difficult to ever trust that man again. Amen? Would you all agree with that? That trust becomes very difficult. When a woman proves herself to be unworthy, it becomes very difficult to trust that person again. And that's why, man, when you make a vow, when you vow a vow, keep it. Keep it. Now, let me say this. When vows have been broken, God's grace can enter in. Amen? God's forgiveness can enter in. And God can overcome that mistrust through His wonderful healing grace. Amen? But it's supernatural. Be careful what you give up. Amen? Be careful what you give up. Why does that person become untrustworthy? Because he has destroyed the honor of his name by failing to keep his covenant. What is Tiger Woods forever going to be known for? Being a great golfer? Being a great philanderer? That's what he's going to be known for. Now, I hope that he can overcome that. I remember when he confessed, which was interesting. The confession after being caught is uh, hard to believe, right? Um, but he said this, I was unfaithful to the tenets of my Buddhism. Well, apparently he doesn't know who Buddha was because Buddha behaved exactly that same way except with little kids. That's not our God. Amen? That's not our God. And that's why our name becomes, our name is very important. Our community, for a pastor, the Bible says, let him first be proved, let him be blameless. So if I fail morally, I've lost the right to lead a congregation in the name of the Lord. Amen? doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I live a life that's, that's above the, the reproach of the world. That's very important. And I'm going to get to me in a minute. 
which is great, right? Oh, great, we're going to hear another sermon about the pastor. Um, so what do we learn from this text? What do we learn? If God were to go back in his covenant because of Abraham's unfaithfulness, then he would be no better than Abraham. Now, how many of you understand Abraham violated his covenant? Right? But this was a covenant that God had said he would perform. He would keep it. Abraham wasn't re- God was not relying on Abraham to be able to keep his covenant. Had God done this, you would not have lost your trust in Abraham because you never trusted in Abraham. You would have lost your trust in God. Had God done this, you wouldn't have lost your trust in Jacob or in Isaac or in Judah or in the children of Israel because your faith was never placed in them. It was placed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the God of Israel. But what if God kept His covenant with Abraham? What if God kept His covenant with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph, with Judah, the other 11 tribes? What if God kept His covenant with them? Then, though Abraham was unfaithful, though Isaac was unfaithful and unworthy, though Jacob was unfaithful and unworthy, then though the 12 tribes were unfaithful and unworthy, then you and I can be here this morning as an oft-failing, frequently sinning, unfaithful, transgressing sinner and still have hope in God. Oh, man. You know, and I've said this before, and it's so funny when people actually find out it's true. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. In any church that their entire mission is to make you feel better about yourself, run from that church as fast as you can. Because how much does the Bible have good to say about you? (laughs) In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. And so, because God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the twelve tribes, Judah, because He was faithful to Israel throughout all of their unfaithfulness, that helps me as an unworthy person, as a sinner, as a person that though I try to do better, I am still morally frail. And here's the problem. When I got saved, that is, I placed my faith and trust as Jesus Christ alone as my Lord and Savior, I recognized that the Bible said that I was a sinner. How many of you recognize that the Bible says that you're a sinner? But here's my problem. Now that I've known God for a little while, and I know God's Word, now I really know that I'm a sinner. That's why God's promises are so important. See, this is what we learn from the book of Galatians. I'm not proud of my sin. I'm not proud of my failure. I'm not glorying in my wickedness. What am I trusting in? This is what I learn in the book of Galatians. I never trusted in myself to begin with. Aren't you glad you don't have to keep your salvation? That's a pretty arrogant position, isn't it? To think that you can be good enough to keep your own salvation? I didn't put my trust in my law keeping. I didn't put my trust in my good works. I didn't put my trust in my own righteousness. 
I put my faith and trust in the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? That's, that's what's so wonderful about it. Man, if I trusted myself, I'd be in big trouble. You see, if I read in my Bible that for 430 years, the family with whom God made covenant proved unworthy. And if I read in my Bible that the nation that grew out of that family was given a law and that they were proved unworthy. And yet, one night, they demonstrated over and over and over again their infidelity to the God that made them, to the God that blessed them, to the God that gifted them above all nations. And yet, one day, one night, an angel came and visited a young virgin. And listen to what that angel said. I'm going to place in you God is going to overshadow you and place in you that seed that was promised to Abraham. That seed that according to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the seed of woman, meaning that he would come as a virgin, but he would be a part of the human race. And then that seed that was promised to Abraham, demonstrating that he would not only be a part of the human race, he would be a part of the Hebrew race. That seed that according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, would be the seed of David, meaning that not only would he be a part of the human race, but he would be a part of the Hebrew race. Not only a part of the Hebrew race, but a part of the royal line of the Hebrew race. That that seed would be placed in Mary. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. You got to admit that it'd be pretty weird. Verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, you've got to get this. They didn't understand that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we can find, find, that we can find mercy and strength to help in time of need. She didn't know that, God. The, the fact that someone has found favor with God, what a message that was. Because all they knew was, you're a sinner, you better go kill something so I don't kill you. Right? Make sacrifices. That's what they understood. And look what the Bible says. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son and his name, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. 
And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. You see what we're saying? The virgin from Genesis 3.15. The birth of a man from Genesis 3.15. The, the, the tribe of the house of Jacob, the Jewish race. And the seed of David, the throne of David. That's the fact that he's from that royal line. But I want you to think about something. Why did God say that to Eve in Genesis 3.15? Because she had just sinned. And so God was telling them that because you've sinned, you need a Savior. I'm going to send that Savior. Abraham. God sent the seed to Abraham. And Abraham sinned. God said he'll come from the line of David. And we all know, David sinned. Is that right? And yet God has kept His promises. And what happened when God came and overshadowed Mary? Jesus Christ, a man, the God-man was born. And He lived a sinless life. And He died because all of the people that God had promised were sinners. And God still kept His promise. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. Why did He do that? That He might be just and the justifier of all those who believe in Him. Now, Mary could have said, But Lord, don't you understand? All my ancestors were sinners. All of our fathers have failed you miserably. Are you still going to keep that promise? You know what God could have said to her? Your lies don't make me a liar. Your failures don't make me a failure. Your sin doesn't make me a sinner. God told Abraham that out of his family line would come the Messiah, the Savior of sinners. How? Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. How did God say this would happen? Look at verse 18. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law... It is no more of promise that God gave it to Abraham by promise. By promise. See, the Bible is very clear on this. What did God promise to Abraham? Look at verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God, where was it confirmed? In Christ. In Christ. He said, I'm going to establish the covenant I promised you, not in your nation, not through your nation, not by means of your nation. But there's going to be one, the just and holy one, that seed, which is Jesus Christ. By His virtue, by His righteousness, by His merit, by His goodness, I will establish the covenant. Now, here's the question. Did Abraham believe that? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, see what it says. This is interesting. I want you to go here in your mind with me and imagine this. Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse 17. Um, look up here for a second. I want to set the scene. God had promised Abraham that by his wife, that though he was childless, and though he was old, 
that by his wife, Sarah, he was going to give him a seed. He was going to give him a son. And then the miracle child was born, Isaac, the miracle child. And I can imagine that while that child was growing, can't you picture this? I can imagine night after night, Abraham in his tent, weeping before God, and say, he's watching Ishmael, the wild man, grow. He's watching this man that God said his hand would be against every man. He's watching him grow. And I can imagine him going to God and saying, God, please, don't take out my sin on my son Isaac. Please, God, don't visit my sin on my child. You understand? That's the way it worked in the Old Testament. And his guilt was ever before him. And then, one day, God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, up onto a mountain, Mount Moriah, and sacrifice him. Sacrifice him. So what does Abraham do? He takes his servants. He takes his son. He leaves his servants at the base of the mountain. And he says to them, I'm going to take my son, some fire, some wood, and a knife. And we're going to go up and sacrifice to God. But then he says, we are going to come back to you. Is that right? Let's go to, let's see what he was thinking. Look what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now look what it says in verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Think with me again. Remember, all the nights that Abraham had begged God for his son. And now, he's heading up the mountain. And God's told him to kill him. Every step of the way. Don't you think that every step of the way up that mountain, Abraham was thinking about his sin? God, is this what you're going to cost me to pay? Is this the price of my wickedness? Is this the price of my unfaithfulness? God, is this the price? You know what I think? I think he would have that thought. And then the next step, he would say this, but God promised. I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. But God promised. I think that when he tied his son to the altar, 
put the wood below him. The fire is beside him. And I, I think that he believed that he was going to plunge the knife in his son's heart and burn him to ashes. But that God was going to raise him from the dead. Because God promised. Abraham believed God. I want you to think of something. When he was on the top of Mount Moriah, I think his spiritual senses were heightened. He was in the very presence of God, getting ready to sacrifice his son. And let me tell you what happens. How many of you have experienced this? When you are in the height of your spiritual condition, when God has brought you into his very presence, what happens? Your sin becomes very real before you. And the only thing that Abraham could hold to was God had promised. God had promised. The Bible said, I'm a sinner. The self-esteemed preacher of our culture is not helpful, it's harmful. When I look at myself and I get before God and I understand that I, my job is to stand before you as a man of God. And I look into my own heart and the closer I get to God, the more I understand how sinful I am. The only, you know, the only thing that I can trust in? God promised. God promised. When I look at myself and I, I become so low because of my own sin. And I recognize my sinfulness between a holy and a righteous God. Then I take my eyes off myself and I see my Savior. The wounds in His hands. The wounds in His side. The crown of thorns on His head. And He says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the promise. How do I know that that's true? Because God promised. How do I know He's going to keep His promise? Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. You know, you know what God said? I swear to God. <laughs> look, look at verse 14. Saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. Now look at verse 15. You want to see, you want to see the grace of God? This ought to blow your mind. Look at verse 15. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. <laughs> he patiently endured? Are you serious? Anyone heard of Hagar the Egyptian? He patiently endured? Do you know what's going on right here? The Holy Spirit of God has expunged his record. 
Did you notice? Did you notice Hebrews eleven seventeen? Keep your place here in Hebrews 6. Go back to Hebrews 11. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Anyone ever heard of Ishmael? This is the Holy Spirit of God taking away the sin. You know, at the end of my life, when I stand before God, the book of my life is opened, there's going to be a little bit of writing and a whole lot of blood. Because Jesus Christ has washed away my sin. That's the unbelievable forgiveness of God. That's what it's about. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. You're not worthy of it. You don't deserve it. You can't do it by the works of the law. You can't do it by your own righteousness. You can't do it by your own works. It can only be by the blood of Jesus Christ. By faith in that. Folks, the only way you're going to live your Christian life is the same way. Let's go back to Hebrews 6 and I want you to see this. Verse 15. Isn't that funny? And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained, he had, he obtained the what? For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, what is immutable? That can't change. By two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have (laughs) a strong consolation. See, this is why you can run and throw yourself on the grace of Jesus Christ. This is why you can come and throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. It's strong consolation because God promised. Look at what it says. We might have strong consolation. But look how it says it. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. You know, the worst dreams that I have are when I'm being chased. Right? Have you ever had that dream and you just can't run fast enough? You're just scared to death. You're running and you can't get away. How many of you have had that dream? How many of you will now? And and you can't, it's awful, isn't it? That's the idea. We're being chased by our sin and the judgment of God. The righteous wrath of God. And we flee for refuge to our Savior. It's the hope that's set before us. Look at verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. That's when Jesus Christ went and paid for our sin, right? Whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What's that talking about? Go back to chapter 4 and verse 14. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. We're running for refuge that we may obtain mercy, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. God swore by Himself. And what He's saying is, if I don't keep this promise, I cease to be God. This is why here at Grace Baptist Church, we don't exalt you. We exalt Jesus Christ. Oh, man. You know what I like about this? When God swore by Himself, it wasn't much of a gamble. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 2. I'm sorry, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. You know, it talked about, we, we go for hope. That refuge where we go for hope. Look at verse 2. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, what's it say? Promised before the world began. Would you mark that before the world began? Would you mark that? Here's what's so cool. Before the world began, God knew he was going to make the promise to Abraham. And before the world began, God knew that Abraham would commit his sin with Hagar. But God promised anyway. Why? Because the promise wasn't based on Abraham. The promise was based on his wonderful mercy and grace. Do you know what God said? Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That hope of eternal life. The Bible says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know he wrote that before the world began? Do you know that God knew what you were going to do before he ever said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know that God knew everything that was going to happen in your life? God knew every decision that you were going to make. God knew every time you were going to turn your back on him. God knew every time that you were going to break your promises. God knew every time that you were going to fail. God knew every time that you were going to say, God, I know you want me to do this, but I'm going to do this. God knew every bit of that. Before, listen, he promised. You see, that's the grace of God. See, my salvation is not based on me because I'm not worth it. My salvation is not based on my righteousness because I don't have any. My salvation is not based on anything that I can do. It's based on his promise. Can I tell you something? I believe him. I believe him. That's the promise of God. So now here's the question. How are you going to live your Christian life? But, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm saved, and you don't know how I messed up. How, how can God ever use me again? He promised. He promised. How could God still love somebody that's as bad as me? He promised. He knew how bad you were before He promised. He promised in full supernatural knowledge of everything that you are and ever will be. You see, His promise isn't based on your behavior. 
His promise is based on His holiness, grace, righteousness, mercy, and the satisfaction He took in the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You've got to be able to live your Christian life by faith. You've got to be able to believe it. You've got to be able to trust in Him and keep His promise close to your heart. I'll say it again. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Don't rest in your own righteousness. Don't rest in your own pride. Because the Bible says that when you do that, get ready for a fall. When you think that something's not a temptation for you anymore, be careful. You're going to fall. I'd rather you not fall. And you don't have to fall. Amen? You don't have to fall. But when you do, He promised. He promised. Thank you, Lord, for your word.